Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Compared to the last few years in training camp with Dirk Cutter and Lovey Smith, how is this going so far with Bruce Arians? And does the Bucks' schedule this year help or hurt them? Who could be a surprise salary cap casualty heading into the season? And the Rays, are they even a playoff team with their current injuries? We've got all those mailbag questions answered and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know, it's hot out there. That means the air conditioning is running all the time. That means your electric bill is going up and up. Mine was over $300, folks. That's just too much money. If you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bills, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available, and they don't use high voltage like other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. they got a full showroom that's open weekdays, and you can see their products and May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. Now, there are many other solar companies that are imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they don't subcontract for any other company in any way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 just for changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. Okay, Steve, so uh, before we get started on the mailbag questions, lots of good feedback and my thanks again to uh, Andrea Kramer, of course, of HBO. You see her on Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. She's also on the NFL Network, also does the play-by-play and color commentary, along with Hannah Storm on Amazon Prime. Uh, just really insightful piece that she did on Bruce Arians that's airing all this month on, on HBO. And also, uh, you know, just the stories that she has, of course, not just about Bruce, but, uh, you know, about really being kind of a trailblazer in the business. Uh, you know, the, the, the broadcast situation she has now with the NFL and doing Thursday night games, just all of that. So really enjoyable, good storyteller. If you haven't had a chance to listen, make sure you go back and do that. It's one of our better podcasts, I think, and a uh, good friend. Appreciate Andrea Kramer on that. A lot of good feedback we're getting on that one, Steve. Yeah, we did. We got a lot of tweets on that and a couple of emails as well. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, you can get that anywhere you get podcasts. So just uh, do a search for uh, our July 31st show, which was yesterday's show, anywhere you get your podcast. Yeah, we've also got it linked on TampaBay.com, or you can go on Twitter um, at NFL Stroud and see a link there as well. You know, she broke a little news, and uh, I followed up that news and wrote a story about it in the Tampa Bay Times, and that is, of course, uh, as she said in the podcast, that the Glazers were less than thrilled, or whatever phrase she used at the time, um, you know, to, to to sort of find out that Bruce Arians was not going to call plays. I mean, this was, uh, you know, sort of the reason you hire Bruce Arians, right? The quarterback whisperer, the guy that called plays for Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, was quarterback's coach in, in various places, you know, with uh, Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and, you know, always called plays as a head coach. Well, the Bucks hired him, and you can imagine they would want the full Bruce Arians effect in his offensive scheme, which he has, you know, honed over the years, and that he would be calling the plays. But 
No, no, no. Instead, instead of that, the Glazers found out that the 39-year-old quarterbacks coach Byron Leftwich was going to call the plays. And so, you know, Andrea mentioned in the podcast she had been at One Buck Place a couple weeks ago, finishing up this story, kind of an update on Arians, that the Glazers were not happy about that. And and I talked to Bruce Arians on Tuesday, and um, you know, he said, "Yeah." He goes, "You know what?" He said, "It was a it was a really good conversation we had to have." You know, he basically had to sell the Glazers that Leftwich, even though he hasn't called plays for a full season in the NFL, he took over from Mike McCoy halfway through last year with the Cardinals, but that was somebody else's offense. And, uh, you know, this is a totally different deal, and he's handing it over. He's really convinced that Leftwich is going to be a, a tremendous offensive coordinator and a play caller, and he thinks a head coach one day. He says they see the game similarly, so there's really not a lot of, um, you know, sort of differences in, in how they attack teams. Of course, you go into it with a script. You know what your best plays are in the down and distance and situations and things like that. But there's still going to be, you know, five or six calls a game that the head coach has to make, whether to go for it here, run the ball there, or take a shot, you know, every now and then. Um, But so far, you know, Bruce Arians has managed to uh, resist the temptation to jump in there and tell Leftwich what to do. He said he came close to it in practice on Tuesday. He wanted to go up and say, hey, try this. What about this? But then he realized – you know, that's that's not my role right now. But the tough struggle, and he admitted this to me in the story, is going to be what happens in September. You know, what happens if you're in a game against San Francisco or Carolina and things just aren't going well and you feel like, you know, you need to take it over? Or if any point in the season he takes it over, that's not going to help Byron Leftwich, obviously. It's going to damage sort of his, his uh, ascension. Uh, and then, you know, the bigger thing is the, the reason for this, as much as he has confidence in Byron Leftwich, it's a health issue. I mean, Bruce Arians, as Andrea Kramer noted, has been in the hospital, has, has worked himself up to go there uh, with high blood pressure and various other uh, ailments every year that he's been a head coach. And he says, you know, there's a good good chance he goes goes again, uh, hopes, hopes it's not going to be serious. And he's a little cavalier about his health. But um, this was done not, not solely because of, of his confidence in Leftwich, but also um, to reduce, you know, sort of the stress on him. Um, so as he told me, so he's not calling a play, then looking up and fighting with referees and then looking down and calling a play and then looking up and yelling at referees. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think there was, you know, certainly a, a stipulation, a, a, you know, something he wanted to do different if he was coming back out of retirement and the Glazers agreed to it. And we'll we'll see how it goes. But my thanks, to my friend, Andrew Kramer, pointing that out. And then, of course, my conversation with Bruce Arians. You can read that story on Tampa Bay. Dot com. So we, as we do this podcast, of course, the trading deadline is fast approaching. It isn't here yet, but the Rays have already made a deal. Uh, they trade for Jesus Aguilar, who is a first baseman. I suppose he'll do some DHing, a right-handed bat from the Milwaukee Brewers. And to get him, they traded uh, pitcher Jake Faria, goes to the uh, Brew Crew. So now they have, Steve, in my last count, uh, 19 potential first basemen. I believe so, and they only have like 13 <laughs> position players, so that's pretty good, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, right? And I, I, so far, at least, they haven't parted with any of those guys yet. No, they've got G-Man Choi and Nate Lowe and Aguilar, and, of course, Darno is now playing some first base to keep his bat in the lineup more often since you're not yeah. going to catch every day. So that's uh, four of them that I count. Yeah. You know, plus, plus like I a Brasso can go over there, or you know, you've got Wendell could probably play over there. You got guys that can go over there. Yeah, I mean, virtually every player on the team, you know, Matt well, Duffy. I mean, every player on the team can play 
multiple positions, it seems. Well, in they the also have pitchers that play first base, so when they want to keep them in the game and cause the Red Sox to cause long delays. That's right. So Aguilar, I mean, he's an interesting player. He had a lot of home runs a year ago, but it's just uh, – I don't know if he's had injuries or what, but he's just not really hitting the ball out of the park this year. He's not hitting out of the park, but he's hitting it hard. His hard hit mm-hmm. percentage of uh, balls hard hit is over 50%, where the league average is somewhere around 35-ish. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I kind of think of that kind of like Yandy Diaz when they traded for him. Guy who hits the ball very hard, but maybe hasn't had the best luck, hasn't isn't elevating it enough in Yandy Diaz's case. You know, I think the Rays see something in Aguilar as well, a guy who's making solid contact and hitting it hard, and they probably think they can, you know, tweak a little bit and get his confidence up and get him back to where he was last year when I think he hit something like 35 home runs. Yeah, well, look, they they can always use a bat. They can always use a bat with power, and uh, we've seen what Diaz has done, you know, how his his surge in power has occurred. Um, I'm waiting for them, and, and as we do this podcast, they have not yet made a deal for a pitcher. I think there's a chance that that might happen before the deadline, but uh, you know certainly they need help in the bullpen. Um, we'll see. Uh, it's uh, you know it's interesting that they they went for the bat, but they have control of Aguilar, I guess, for uh, for a little while longer. Not it's not a it's certainly not a rental player type deal. Yeah, he'll get to arbitration next year, so you've got three years of team control. You get three arbitration years mm-hmm. with a player, so. Yeah, he's yeah. under control. And Farias, I think, has four years left of team control. So the Brewers get a pitcher that they can control for a while, too. So now, There was a time when Jake Faria, I thought, was going to be one of their rotation guys, you know, mm-hmm. early, yeah, in, his, early it, in his career. You know, and he spent a lot of time at, at Durham this year, and he was just called up the other day. But uh, mostly for, you know, they needed some depth in, in the pitching rotation there, or the, or the bullpen. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he kind of got passed by a lot of pitchers. So, you know, yeah. and when you sign Charlie Morton as well and – you're, you know, Anthony Bond is going to be back soon, and Brent Honeywell, and you got Jose De Leon, and um, I think he, you know, Yarborough is starting to pitch really well now. Yanni Chirinos has stepped up. I think he's just kind of gotten past in the, as far as the prospects go. So he was expendable. Yeah, uh, we'll, look, we're going to have your uh, mailbag questions here in just a second. But while we're talking about baseball, uh, Steve, I know you follow the Cincinnati <laughs> Reds. Can I just say, if they're going to trade for a pitcher, and I don't know where he would fit for them at all, but I'd be willing to give up a prospect for this guy. Amir Garrett, who, uh, if you haven't seen this, maybe we can post some of this video. I don't know if we can or not, Steve, to our to uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay or link it or something. But I can tweet it. Um, yeah, at, you can go on Twitter at Sports Day TV. But this dude, so so the Pirates and the Reds have had uh, a number of uh, brouhaha's of Donnie Brooks, if you will, of uh, uh, you know some some beanball wars or whatnot, and they they seem to uh, they seem to have it in for each other every time they play, but. Garrett is uh, is getting taken out of this ball game. The manager for the Reds uh, has already been thrown out. Okay, I think the so, bench coach was thrown out too. That was like the third different coach going out to the mound. Yes, yeah. So like the third. So the guy, you know, the guy hands the ball to his manager or to the coach or whoever comes to the mound, and then proceeds to walk to the other dugout. And I have never seen. I, I you know, you say you go to the ballpark, you see something new every day. I have not seen a dude go over and and try to take on 25 guys at once. I, I mean, this was incredible. I mean, you talk about guts, man. This dude, he did not care. He was marching right into the enemy, and uh, he got his he got some shots in. Yeah, I was gonna, he marched in he and was, took swings. I mean, he didn't just oh, he did. march. He took swings. Oh, yeah. No, he went over there, and, and he uh, he threw some roundhousers and connected a few times, and then all hell broke loose on this guy. Uh, and uh, I, I think he, he probably absorbed a few blows before both benches cleared. But it wasn't like a usual baseball brawl where, you know, guys kind of stand around and ask how the wife's doing. 
I mean, these dudes were really, really scrapping a little bit. Yeah, I mean, including the manager. I mean, David Bell, the Reds manager, who was already thrown out of the game earlier, came running back out on the field, shoved the other manager, went after a pitcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was Ignacio Puig. That's a guy you don't want to fight. No, you're glad he's on your team, and he's not going to be with the Reds anymore because he's been traded, but he had not been traded at that point. No, actually, and, he had been. Well, the, the reports had, he had been traded, yeah. but it wasn't official yet. It wasn't so he official. Was still on the field so, and on the team. That's right, and he was he was trying to collect collect skulls. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Like uh, the, the Reds manager, Bell, was, was yelling at Clint Hurdle a few things we can't repeat. And, um, and, but, boy, how about your boy? <laughs> All of a sudden, Chris Archer, who you know probably said something, but regardless. Ended up on the bottom stand- of a scrum. Oh, man, he's kind of standing around like he doesn't really want to be a part of this battle. And then all of a sudden, he just gets inhaled. You yeah, know? he was on and- the bottom of a scrum getting some punches laid on him oh. and then got shoved by Puig after he got up from there. No, it was it was a uh, it was quite it was quite a uh, quite a bench clearing brawl, and I and like I said, I would get Aguilar and I would just say, "Hey guys," and I don't know if he can pitch or help them or anything else, and I would just bring him to the clubhouse and say, "This dude has more guts than anybody in this clubhouse, and if we can borrow anything from this guy, no one's going to mess with us." Because have you ever seen that a guy just walk over and say, "Okay, here I am." I'm going to take on all 25 of yeah. you dudes. Not, well, I mean, there's a there's a picture earlier in the year of Puig taking on kind of the whole Pirates team back in April. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't think he ran to their dugout to do that. It was kind of in the middle no. of a scrum on the field. Um, and it was I, weird because he's being taken out of the game and he just walks to the other dugout. Yeah, now, now the, the Reds and Pirates have had a lot of issues. The Cubs have had issues with the Pirates this year, too. Um, they hit yeah. a lot of guys, and they they last night or two, this was Tuesday night's game that the fight happened. They were playing beanball with the Reds, and both teams were going back and forth with it. Um, Clint Hurdle's kind of known for that, yeah. And uh, the, the Pirates manager, and you know, I know the Reds have had enough. Of, Joe Madden's complained about it a lot this year of the Pirates pitching, and um, you know, and baseball hasn't done anything about it. So this is what happens when that when when you refuse to to punish something, it escalates. That's what I always you know say in a hockey game. You know, I don't understand when you have scrum after scrum in front of the nets all the time and you don't you either don't send anybody off or you just match even up penalties all the time. It just gets worse as the game goes along. You know, when you yeah. don't when you don't when you don't punish people for doing wrong, they'll do more. And it, it you know, it gets out of hand in hockey, it gets out of hand in baseball. They'll take the law in their own hands and that's that's what happened in this Reds game. And I guess there was a couple more batters hit. Um, as we do this podcast uh, today. Yeah, it didn't look so, like they were intentional, though, though, at least early in the game. Yeah, they weren't yeah. necessarily fastballs high and then tight. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Well, I like fire a ball club once in a while, but that, that was really something. I Like I said, I'd be all about getting that dude. Um, so we have uh, some mailbag questions today. Of course, training camp. The Bucks are actually uh, were off on Wednesday. They're back at it tonight. That practice uh, is at 6.30 um, out there if you're headed out to the Advent Health Training Center. I think it's going to be inside with that that late of a start. So uh, they got practices uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then the uh, players are off on Sunday, I believe. So uh, this is the only time they're going to go five days in a row, and I know those guys got to be pretty tired uh, as far as their legs go and, you know, to come back in the off season and have to go that hard that long. Uh, but the players get off every, I think, every five days, I want to say, they have to have a day off. So – that's sort of the pattern they're going to fall into now. But anyway, without further ado, here's your uh, mailbag question, Steve. All right, we'll start with UK Bucks, who asks, Compared to the last few years of training camp under Dirk Cutter and Lovey Smith, how does this one feel so far with Bruce Arians? 
Well, there are differences uh, with every head coach, I think. Uh, you know, we'll start with the time. I mean, you know, Lovey Smith had a lot of 1 o'clock games when he came in that first year and said, we're going to practice when we play, Rick. We, we play at 1. We're going to practice at 1. The heat is our edge. And then he proceeded to get rained out like the first couple of days. But, um, you know, at that point, they didn't have an indoor facility, so they would have to just every 20 minutes, you know, if the lightning detector went off, they'd have to go inside and, uh, then, then they start to come back out and might go off again. You got to be inside again for 20 minutes, and this would happen until sometimes it got to be dark, and they'd have to put them on a bus and go over to USF and, and practice underneath the lights or something. So it was really disruptive. Um, you know, Dirk Cutter went the other way and decided, you know, it's cooler in the morning. We're going to start around 8:30. Uh, we're going to get our work in. It's less thunderstorm activity, obviously. Uh, and then after the players come off the field, we're going to let them get off their feet for three or four hours, which is routine in training camp, and then come back and have our meetings in the evening and go over the practice film and everything else. And that worked out for a lot of people. Everybody thought that was fun. They didn't win many games, um, except the first year they went 9-7, and seven, so it seemed successful. Um, but I've seen guys do it all different ways. I mean, John Gruden won a Super Bowl going at 8.30. The difference as far as how the, the camp is actually conducted um, is, is somewhat striking. I mean, for starters, there's no music. I mean, both Lovey and Dirk um, played a lot, of, a lot of loud speaker music out there during the entire practice. It's a sort of a millennial thing, I guess, uh, in a sense, but it also forces the guys to, to focus and, you know, not be distracted by the noise, which would, you know, be equate to fan noise and, uh, and, and the distraction of, uh, of songs and things like that. Uh, you know, Bruce Arians just said, I'm not having it. You know, I, I, I'm not having it. You're going to hear me. You're going to hear me over the, the, the other noise, and we're really not going to have music and stuff like that. So the noise has been turned down as far as the acoustics on music go, uh, but we know Bruce Arians is still somebody that's going to have some, some things to say to his players. Uh, I also think that, you know, there has not been as much uh, physical play and hitting um, that I've seen until this year over the last few years. They went and did a live uh, tackling series or two uh, on uh, Tuesday. They were, you know, driving the ball in two-minute situation, and they were taking guys to the ground. And you know, these days there's, there's so few training camp practices anyway. But teams are really, you know, really skeptical and cautious about tackling their own players for fear that you know some guy might get hurt just in a training camp practice. But Arians believes that, no, you know, you're going to have to tackle in order to tackle during the regular season. Now, they don't do a ton of it, and they won't do a ton of it, but they did do it on Tuesday, so that was interesting. And just the tempo, I think it's a, it's, I think it's a fast tempo. Obviously, there's a, the, the biggest schematic change is on defense where you see a 3-4. You see pressure from some position because they're putting in all their blitz packages and things like that. So you're literally seeing, you know, somebody coming almost on every play. It's very disruptive for the offense. They have to try to navigate their way and, and, you know, check to the protections and find the hot receiver and check the ball down and all these things. But they think that it's going to help them down the road because if they can, you know, react and, and, and make the right decisions against this defense, um, you know, presumably they'll do very well uh, in the league. So, um, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's been a good camp. Obviously, Arians brings a lot of credibility. He has a really good coaching staff. These guys listen to their coaches. The execution hasn't been good. Defense is ahead of the offense. That's to be expected this time of year. Jameis needs to complete more balls. He needs to protect the football more, as he always does. But, um, you know, I think the guys are, are thriving off Bruce Arians' swagger 
and the confidence and also, you know, the maturity and confidence that his coaching staff clearly brings. I mean, these guys all have resumes, so it resonates with the players, and, and I, think they've, uh, I think they've really kind of increased the tempo and the intensities a little bit this year over the last couple of years. All right, Ellis asks, in the way-too-early-to-tell category, how different is the Todd Bowles defense than Mike Smith's? Well, it's not too early to tell because it's fundamentally all completely different. It's a, it's a 180. I mean, whereas, you know, Mike Smith ran a, a zone-based Tampa 2 that people are used to seeing, you know, uh, a cover 2 with two deep safeties, um, zone-schemed, four-down linemen that would, you know, put much, much of the pressure on the quarterback. That was sort of their job. You didn't blitz a lot of linebackers. You didn't bring corners very much off the edge. Uh, typically in, the, in that system, you know, your corners are off the ball. Uh, a couple yards in playing zone so that their eyes are always on the quarterback, um, you know, and, and then you have the two deep safeties. In Todd Bowles' defense, it's all predicated on pressure or the illusion of pressure. It's disguise. It's giving, you know, the offense uh, things that they have to account for or things they think they have to account for. They have to slide pass protection sometime or maybe the running back has to switch sides because he – he anticipates somebody's blitzing off of that side. And, and the fact of the matter is you never know who's coming because they mix it up so well. Todd Bowles is very good about disguising what he's doing and then you know, bringing pressure um, in, in different places that you, you might not have blocked. So uh, they've been you know, very opportunistic. I think they're a young group. They're enthusiastic. Um, they're intercepting a lot of passes. They're deflecting a lot of balls. And like I said, I think they have the advantage because Bowles is allowing them to play really fast and really aggressive. Uh, now, down the road, you know, what does that do if Drew Brees, you know, what, what blitz has he not seen? Um, you would think a guy like that would invite that sort of defense against him because he can make big plays and quick strikes at any time. But uh, I think fans are going to love this defense because that's what the, the way football is going right now. You know, you can't hit these receivers. It's very hard to, to really jam them at the line of scrimmage. They're running through the middle of the field and through zones because they have no fear of getting blasted. Otherwise, it's going to be a 15-yard penalty and, and, and probably a fine. So, you know, the game the game is changing, and I, and I, think, um, I think Bowles has done a good job trying to change with it. And I think, I think people are going to enjoy, um, you know, sort of what, what they see out there. All right, Jim asks, when I hear you describe Matt Gay, I think of Sebastian Janikowski for some reason. Could you compare Gay to Janikowski in any way? Do they have a similar kicking style? Well, yeah, there is. there are comparisons. I mean, I don't think Gay is as tall as Janikowski, and he may not be as heavy, but he's a bigger man. You know, he, he is uh, every bit of six foot, six one, and I want to say he goes about 230-something pounds. So, you know, he is no shrinking violet. You know, you think of kickers, you – some people think of a guy like uh, Akairo Santos, who's on the on the smaller side, although he has a, a very powerful leg. Um, you don't usually equate equate that position with a big guy, and this is a big this is a big man. He's a big man that you know that played soccer, and um, and and you know the, the the biggest difference is how the ball sounds. Quite frankly, I mean, when you're in a stadium and and or practice, and you're outside, or even if you're in the you know sort of the indoor facility, when you hear the thump of the ball, it's just different, right, when it comes off a gay's foot versus anybody else. So, you know, I think that in that sense, he's, he's very much reminiscent of Janikowski. He can kick the ball um, w well over 60 yards. I've seen him make 65-yarders. 
note that leg strength is not the issue. I mean, he doesn't overswing. Um, he knows he has a powerful leg, and, and he's pretty smooth with everything. So, you know, um, I would be I would be pretty optimistic about, about Gay. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he can do whatever he wants to in practice. No one's going to know until he faces that first pressure kick, whether it's, you know, early in the game or, or maybe late in the game to try to win it. You're not going to know how people are going to react. But my guess is is that, you know, Gay has been really consistent and then, you know, has a, has a stronger leg, whereas Santos sort of slipped a little bit on Tuesday. I think he missed maybe two field goals. And, um, you know, and, and he doesn't kick off, and he has some things going against him. So that's sort of the breakdown so far, and yet we really won't know what, what the Bucks have in Gay until, until it matters, until you line up and they say, okay, execute, make this kick, and your team wins. And that's, that's going to be when the rubber meets the toe, as they say. All right, Les asks, do you see any way that the Bucks don't bring Jameis Winston back for 2020, even if they went 3-13 and and had a chance at one of the quarterbacks in the draft? If that's the case, then why haven't they locked Jameis up yet? The longer they wait, the higher the price. That's true, and I think I, I think there's no absolutes in life. You know, I I believe that Jameis is if he stays healthy is going to be play is going to play well enough. Um, you know, to merit, you know, coming back. And you know, if he didn't, I think he'd probably be a you know a fairly coveted free agent based on his pedigree and what I think he's going to do this season or you know what he has done in the past. Um, you know, as far as as far as is there a scenario he could get he could not come back? Yeah, if he plays if he plays his way out of here. I mean, if he's god awful, you know, this is with Bruce Arians considered his last best chance. I mean, Bruce Arians is here because of Jameis Winston. He's known him since eighth grade. He wanted to coach this quarterback. He was 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 happy uh, and almost insistent that if he were going to coach again, that the team would have a guy like Jameis Winston. Um, and so, having said that. What else sort of, you know, what else can you do to give him rope to uh, prove he's a good quarterback? If you, you know, winning is not necessarily uh, the best measurement because it's a team sport, but he's got to play winning football. And if he goes out there and, and he tosses it around and, you know, he makes terrible decisions and, you know, throws a bunch of interceptions and this sort of thing and the team doesn't win because of him, because he can't protect the football um, and not because the defense has given up 29 a game, then I think that the you know that this this could be it for Jameis. But my suspicion is that he's got enough talent around him that Arians is a very uh, you know good offensive mind. Even though Byron Leftwich is calling the plays, I'm I'm I like Clyde, Clyde Christensen and, and you know the quarterbacks coach relationship with Jameis. There's nobody backing him up that's going to challenge him. The swagger seems to be back, so. I'm going to guess that he's back, but there are no guarantees in life, and we'll just have to see how the season goes. The other part of that, too, is, is yes, the price may go up if Jameis has a good season, you wait, but Jameis may not want to sign now. He may want to wait and see if he can have a better season and command more money come next, next offseason. Well, he could. The only, the only, uh, you know, the only downside is is that they can franchise him. You know, well, but then you're um, still gonna you're gonna get a, a sizable payday for the. It's only one year, but you'll be a top five paid quarterback at that point. Right, and so Winston will benefit. I mean, he'll make probably upwards of twenty-five million dollars a year, and you can do that twice, franchise players twice. Well, you know, that's a good problem to have if if you're the Bucks, and even for that matter, a little bit of a good problem if you're Jameis Winston. 
um, because you could, you know, you could potentially make, you know, almost fifty million dollars or so in the next the next few years. So, you know, that's that's not a bad way to go. But I, I kind of think they're in the pay pay as you go mode, um, you know, simply because there's a lot of salaries are going to come off next year. They're going to be a better salary cap situation. But I'm not sure that they'll have so much information that they'll be willing to say, yep, you know what, he's everything we thought he was. He's going to take us to the Super Bowl. Let's lock him up for the next, you know, eight years. I just – I'm not sure you're going to have enough information to do that. It would be nice, um, but but I don't think that's it. But make no mistake, this is a very, very big year for Winston. Of course, you're evaluated all the time. Of course, he doesn't have a contract beyond this year, and it's a lot of money, a lot of money that he's making this year and even more that you'd have to give up to keep him next year. So is there a scenario where he could not be here in 2020? Of course there is. All right, Stephen asks, the Bucks still aren't in great salary cap positions. What do you think could be a surprise salary cap casualty heading into the season? This is a tough one for me because no one, you know, usually guys leap to mind. You know, I can remember um, when Tony Dungy was coaching here and it was, uh, you know, fairly early uh, in, in his um, coaching career. And, and one year, you know, it, it came to pass that like Brad Culpepper um, was cut. You know, you remember, you remember those name guys, you know. Uh, Michael Clayton was cut by John Gruden one year, you know, uh, for salary cap reasons. I think the biggest one that they had to deal with and they already did was, was Gerald McCoy. I mean, you know, $13 million. And the fact that, you know, they did that before training camp um, – you know, is certainly something that, uh, you know, certainly something that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They anticipated and, and, and you know, got a big chunk of the salary cap back. There's not, frankly, a lot of high-paid guys that you don't think are going to make this football team. I'll give you one to watch simply because we don't know anything, and he posted a picture on Instagram and he still has a neck collar, and that's Jason Pierre-Paul. Look, uh, we all hope Jason Pierre-Paul heals up and heals fast and, and is able to resume his career. Um, but, you know, he's 31, 32 years old. You know, he's a guy whose contract is not guaranteed next year. He makes upwards of 12 or $13 million this season. But because he got involved in an automobile accident, um, you know, driving his Ferrari in the wet roads down around I-95, it was not a football-related injury, and therefore, you know, he's currently on the, the uh, you know, reserve uh, or the active, I'm sorry, the active, uh, you know, non-football injury list, which means they can, they can decide he can start practicing any time when he's cleared by doctors. Um, but you know what? It's a long climb back for him. And let's say that weeks and weeks go by, and they're hoping he's back sometime, you know, after October at the very latest, but... Um, let's say, you know, it doesn't go well. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to say to yourself, okay, well, if he needs surgery, he's out for the year. If, if that thing's just not healing fast enough, you know, sort of why, you know, what's the record and, and what do we think we're going to get out of him when and if he does come back? 
And and you you know you can't bring him back next year anyway unless he makes just a ton of money. And what kind of player are you getting after this accident? So, you know, they could if uh, doctors determine he can't play this year, uh, you know, they could release him and probably probably even recoup, you know, some of the money that they have already paid him. But um, you know that's one. And then uh, you know, I don't know if they would do this because I think the, the coaches sort of like him. Um, but Justin Evans needs to get going too. He's he's too young probably to cut at this point. But these this coaching staff has not seen him play, and so I would say, you know, look at players that this coaching staff you know may, has no allegiance to because they just got here, and you know maybe he was a dollaring of the of the last coaching staff, and you just got to kind of look at the positions and where the depth is. I mean, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver. For example, you know, Justin Watson's in a fight for his job with Brashard Perryman and Scotty Miller and, um, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. You know, they've got a number of really good receivers. I think Cam Braid is fine. You know, a lot of people talk about his salary next year not being guaranteed. He's coming off hip surgery. You know, they have O.J. Howard who's going to command him a lot of money. I would say next year is going to be Cam Braid's turn. He will be the guy that could be the odd man out at the tight end position. But, no one leaps to mind in terms of, oh, man, I didn't see that coming, although there usually is a surprise or two. Uh, there's just nothing, nothing's really on the radar that I can pick out. All right, Jeffrey asks, do you think the Bucks' schedule this year with the way their home games are set up along with the overseas trip helps, hurts, or is neutral for the team? Oh, it's absolutely brutal. It's, it's one of the worst schedules in the league. In fact, how many times have you heard the NFL – admit they made a mistake about anything. I mean, they don't they don't make mistakes, and if they do, they sure as hell don't apologize for them. The schedule makers apologize for screwing up the Bucks' schedule and therefore most likely their season, and, and you, just, you just don't hear that. And the reason is that, you know, they have 23,000 miles of travel this year. Now, you can't, you can't help who you're playing, obviously. You can't, you know, if you're playing the AFC West and, you know, then you're going to have games against the Rams and you're going to have games against um, – I'm sorry, the NFC West, games against the Rams and games against Seattle and that sort of thing. So those are just long trips. Uh, you know, but giving up a home game to go to England to play Carolina, it's a division game that would have been here you know, at Raymond James Stadium. And the way the schedule just – it's not so much the opponents, but it's how it, how it laid out. I mean, you, know, you open against the 49ers, right, and four days later – Win or lose, four days later, you're playing a Thursday night game against Gerald McCoy and the boys at Carolina. So, you know, you don't want to be sitting here four days into a season at 0-2. You know, but that's that's and when that's the good part of the schedule. You know, before long, you find yourself in Los Angeles against the Rams, back home against New Orleans. Um, then before you know it, you know, you're in England. Then you have a bye week. Then you go to St. Louis and then Seattle. So just keep in mind that this football team, once they play their game on September 22nd, which is still only the third week of the regular season, they do not have another game in the entire area of Tampa Bay until, you know, like November 10th. I mean, it is the entire fall that goes by. The good news is if you navigate that and you you still got your head above water in terms of the playoffs or the postseason, um, you know, the schedule turns and you have a lot of games at home through the months of, of uh, late November, early December. So, uh, you know, but but just looking at it, I mean, I can't remember a schedule, certainly that had this many travel miles in it. But more than that, um, you know, being, being away from Tampa Bay, not waking up and going to Raymond James Stadium uh, 
on a Sunday to play from you know the end of September until really almost mid-October. I mean, that's, that's unfathomable. Okay, Scott asks, in your opinion, could Scotty Miller be a diamond in the rough for the Bucks? I guess diamond in the rough if you're you know drafted that low in the sixth round. But Scotty Miller is going to make this football team, and uh, you know he he ran I think something crazy like a four two eight or something like that. Finally, uh, when he did do his pro day, you know he's not the the sort of the stout little guy that uh, people remember with Adam Humphreys. Although he wears number ten, he, you know he's a white guy. He'll play in the slot some, but for the you know at the end of the day, he's not really replacing what they got from Adam Humphreys because in this offense, the slot receiver has to be a bigger dude, right? You're going to see Chris Godwin there a lot. You might see Justin Watson there. You might see even uh, Mike Evans move inside uh, on occasion because they have to be used in the running game, you know, to block down on linebackers and things like that. So you're not going to put the smallish guy like Scotty Miller necessarily in the slot, but this dude can fly. He is Really fast, and you know what else he is? He makes gritty catches. I mean, in traffic, um, he has great athleticism. He can leap, and uh, he does not get knocked off the ball. He uses his body well, what there is of it. And um, I've been so impressed, so impressed with, uh, with, with how Miller has played, and I think the coaches are too. And I also think that he's going to have a big, big role either as a punt returner or maybe a kickoff turner or both. So – I would pencil in Scotty Miller as, you know, no worse than, say, the fourth or fifth receiver right now. And it's just a matter of whether they carry four, five, or six on the roster. Buck North asks, on the heels of your interview with Andrea Kramer, who was your biggest influence in sports writing or broadcasting world? And what was your first job as a writer? Also, please don't mention the retirement world word. I can't imagine you not covering the Bucks. <laughs> well... Believe me, I have thought about not covering the Bucks long and hard, <laughs> and I can imagine it just fine. So sorry for those generations of people who can't, um, but I've got lots of plans, and, and at some point it's going to happen. I'm not looking to retire now, though, that's for sure. i got two young daughters i got to put through college somehow. Um, but aside from that, uh, look, I, I was fortunate that uh, I grew up in, in St. Petersburg, and I'm a one percenter. You know, very few of us are, are still around or around in general. Um, but, you know, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, before we were the Tampa Bay Times, we were the St. Petersburg Times. And so, um, you know, I, I was one of those kids that read the newspaper all the time. And we had really good writers, and, and it was a terrific newspaper, not just for sports but for a lot of things. Um, you know, and, and yes, I grew up and later worked with Hubert Mizell and, um, you know, and folks like that. Uh, there was a columnist that uh, uh, went on in, uh, to the Detroit Free Press, I think. Uh, it might have been the news, but I think it was a free press that worked here in St. Petersburg named Shelby Strother. He died um, very young um, and suddenly. Um, but he was a terrific, terrific writer. As far as you know, national guys, I mean, um, you know, at, at Sports Illustrated, which I read a lot as a kid uh, and in college, you know, Gary Smith was one of my favorites. Um, I liked Rick Riley just because of his sarcasm at times. Um, and then, you know, authors that uh, that I really enjoyed were guys like Pat Conroy, who recently, I think he died about a year or so ago, you know, wrote The Great Santini and Prince of Tides and things like that. So, there were a lot of influences, um, and I worked with a lot of great people. You know, I admired guys guys that I worked with, and um, you know, it's it's quite an alumni 
um, of, of folks that have gone on, you know, to great things and around the country. And, and so, uh, I was fortunate that way. And even, even the people that work there now, you know, um, I'm an avid reader of all of them. So, uh, as far as like how I got into it, what, you know, I played, I think people know this, if they know anything about me, you know, I played baseball my whole life that we were a baseball family. My dad was, a, was a coach and a former minor league player. And, uh, I played at St. Pete college, which was junior college at the time, a couple of years. And I ended up, uh, playing at Arkansas state. So, I love all. I loved all sports, and I loved love writing. I got into a journalism program in college at Arkansas State, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to to be able to combine two of my passions, which I was able to do. Unfortunately, um, you know, when I graduated, there weren't a lot of jobs around at the time. I didn't want to live in Arkansas, so I came back home to Florida and started as a correspondent, which a lot of writers do now. Now you would probably be a blogger, but if you can get a job you know, um, covering high school sports or spring training or whatever it was um, back at that time, uh, I started doing it for an evening paper, which doesn't exist, which was called the Evening Independent. Uh, they liked my work, and, but then they were also, you know, sort of owned by the Times Publishing Company, which uh, owned the Petersburg Times. And then, you know, they asked me if I would work for them. Uh, and so I did, and I got a bureau job. My first, uh, you know, first employment uh, in the business was uh, working for the St. Petersburg Times and the, at that time the Clearwater Bureau. And I worked there for a couple of years, then went and became the sports editor of the Pasco Bureau, what we called the Pasco Times, which was, uh, you know, an offshoot of the St. Pete Times, a regional edition. And, and, and in the meantime, I was covering sports, you know, downtown, going, being sent to college football games and basketball games and spring training and all this other stuff while I was doing the regional things. And then Finally got an opportunity to cover the Florida Gators, you know, and, and did that for a couple of years and then and then on to the Bucks. So it's been, you know, it's been a great uh, kind of a great journey. But I've, I've, I've had a lot of really, really good journalists um, to follow through the years. You know, the newspapers won 12 Pulitzers. I got to work with Lucy Morgan, uh, who won a Pulitzer Prize. I worked with her in Pasco and Jeff Testerman, who was just a tremendous, um, you know, news editor, city editor for us up there. Um, you know, the, the, the people and the quality of, of, uh, of writers and, 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 you know, editors and things that I've, I've come across have, have really helped me. Uh, and so I've been fortunate that way. But, uh, but it's a good question. There, you know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of influences, but I've had most of those have probably been with the people I've worked with. All right, we'll go on to the Rays now. And Gonzo asks, are the Rays even a playoff team with their current injuries? Well, as we do this podcast, I believe, Steve, they might be tied or maybe just out of the second wild card. I'm They're not a half sure. game out. We're doing this uh, Wednesday afternoon. It's uh, about 45 minutes before the trade deadline. It's about 3.15 yeah. right now. So, I mean, you know, mathematically, um, they're not out. Uh, the injuries are certainly have taken its toll. I, I still don't think that. You know, without Blake Snell, it's going to be it's going to be a tough haul, right? I mean, it was it was getting tough with just you know having. Um, two, and I guess if you know if you count Chirinos, maybe three starters. Uh, I know they're using Ryan Yarborough, um, you know, in that bulk inning role, and he's he's been very very good. So I mean, they still have good pitching. The back of the bullpen's been an issue, uh, but these injuries, you know, they, they hope to get some guys back. I mean, at some point, um, you know, you hope you get some of your bats back, and and they were lucky to get bat. Matt Duffy has come in. I think he's contributed pretty quickly. Uh, which they didn't necessarily know, you know, what they would have. But Yanni Diaz needs to come back. Brandon Lau needs to come back. 
if they get some guys healthy, I would give them a puncher's chance. I really would. I mean, it's weird. It's like I looked up and, you know, the Yankees starting pitching is a mess right now. Not that mm-hmm. I think they have a chance to win the division, but, you know, the Red Sox um, I have been up and down all season. And, you know, credit to the Rays for hanging on and, you know, after trailing and then coming back several times and, and winning that game 6-5, to five, you know, on Tuesday night. So, um, you know, I, I think they'll, I, I think they are a contender. I don't know how long, and I think it's only for maybe a, a wild card and maybe probably the second wild card at that. Um, but I think they're good. Look, they've stayed above ten, above ten games, above five hundred all year. I don't think they've been any closer than eleven or twelve um, above five hundred. I mean, I think that's been the margin for some time. And so, you know, you play that well and get on a hot streak here, and I think the schedule at some point is going to turn in their favor and and they just got to beat those teams. You know, it's not enough to just, you know, remember coming out, they played the White Sox and that's a team they probably should have taken and they lost the series. So when you get some of those teams like Toronto and others, uh, you don't want to make it adventurous. You want to just take care of business and and just win series. And if they do that and and take care of business against the Red Sox who are trying to pursue them, um, I think they could find themselves in a wild card position. All right, Les asks, do you think with how the overworked our bullpen is this year that the Rays will reconsider the opener policy for next year? Should be getting healthy from a starting pitcher perspective next year. Injuries happen, but only having three starters is ridiculous. Well, it is. Uh, the problem is, is that just that's who they are. Uh, I, and look, if they had four guys that they could hand the ball to, like like Charlie Morton, and say, hey, you know, or even Blake Snell, go out there and, and throw as hard as you can, and when you get to – you know, 100, 110 pitches, hopefully you'll be in the seventh inning and we'll take you out, they would do that all day. I mean, it'd be nice to have five of those guys. It's just simply not the case. I mean, they can't pay for pitching. Um, you know, it's hard enough to keep their own guys. Charlie Morton's making as much as, as any pitcher they want to pay, which is around $15 million, and he's responded. You know, he's he's got the 10-3 and three record or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I don't – I think the opener was born of necessity. I think it's been successful. It absolutely burns through your bullpen. It's not the preferred way of doing things. Um, let's see who they get back healthy next year. You know, they got a number of guys. You know, maybe Brent Honeywell comes back. And you got a number of guys that they haven't used um, that they're hoping, you know, will make it back. There is a but, chance next year they don't use the opener, except in some spot starts. I mean, if you have Glass now and Snell right. and Morton healthy, if Torino right. conti- Torino's continues to – step up and, and now you think he's a starter material. Anthony Bonda will be back mm-hmm. next year. You hope Brent Honeywell will. You know, there's six starters right there where yeah. maybe they use the opener a lot less. Maybe you use yeah. it in spot starts or occasionally you, you want to do it just to change things up based on a matchup with Chirinos. You could start him sometimes, put him behind mm-hmm. a Stanek or somebody like that for an inning or two against certain matchups and lineups. But I, I think, yeah, ultimately they would like not to use. The opener came out of necessity. They didn't have enough guys they thought were good enough starting pitchers to do that. That's right. That's exactly right. And, yeah, it's been successful, and, and it's, it's good to know they can turn to it, you know, because you're always going to have injuries even if they start. Like this year they started with three guys they thought would be their, their starters, and, you know, now two of them are hurt and one may not come back at all. We don't know about Snell. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of like, you know, that's, that's the reason for it. But. Um, but it's but it's like the shift, right? You, I mean, you use it when you have to. It's not the ideal plan, but that's that's just part of who the Rays are, and and that's that's one reason why they were able to win ninety games last year when they didn't have you know a, a great starting rotation. All right, we'll move on to the Lightning. And Cameron asks, the Lightning haven't made any particularly big moves in the off season yet. 
can we expect management to keep the same team for the most part and just think they will play better playoff hockey this time around? Is that a realistic plan? Well, Steve, I'll, I'll let you weigh in on this too because you know the Lightning um, certainly better than I do. But, I mean, I, when you talk about big moves, okay, let's not minimize the fact that they just locked up their goaltender, who's a generational goaltender in their opinion, maybe in the next Marty Brodeur for eight years, okay? And that Braden Point is somebody they're going to invest a lot of money in for good reason, uh, maybe for another eight years. You know, we'll have to wait and see how that deal comes. Um, you know, so uh, – I wouldn't, you know, that that's part of it. I mean, what's wrong with the core? Do they need to add some guys? Probably here and there. But what's wrong with a core that set an NHL record and, and won as many games as they did? Yeah, they didn't have success in, in the postseason, and you certainly would like to change that mentality a little bit. And, you know, if you can add some gritty players and, and guys that can stand in front of the net or some, some defensemen. But um, I don't think they're done yet. I, I simply think that, you know, I think people – look past what it means in terms of salary cap and the commitment to to guys like Vasilevsky you know you didn't add anybody well yeah but you lock somebody up like that for a number of years and that'll be the case with point two so I don't know I don't think they're done are they Steve I mean there's still time for them to do some things no I I mean I still think they need probably some help on the blue line but how they get that Mm -hmm. done I mean uh, trading Ryan Callahan to the Ottawa Senators takes his salary off the book and yes they had long-term injury exemption for his salary, but getting it off completely instead and Ottawa taking it on actually helps him salary cap-wise based on how your cap expenses accrue throughout the year and what you can do with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to allow them to sign Braden Point, whether it's a bridge deal or a big-time deal. Mm-hmm. Look, they're not, they're not done. I mean, the more I think about the playoff exit last year, I think the Victor Hedman injury, he was a lot more hurt than we knew. And obviously, he didn't yep. play the last two games of the playoff series. And he didn't look himself in the first two. I mean, had that been the regular season, he wouldn't have played any of those games. They mm-hmm. were, you know, with the playoffs. And, and he's such a big part of that. But I think they expended so much energy getting to 62 wins. And while mm-hmm. they said all the right things and we're just focused on the playoffs and, you know, we're just out trying to win games and, and that, they said all the right things. But I think they expended so much energy on that and they got punched in the mouth that first game and couldn't recover they were exhausted i think and it's not an excuse if you look at throughout history almost in every sport the teams that set records don't win it mm-hmm. the mariners in baseball the the red wings who they tied the record for number of wins in hockey they didn't win it you know the patriots at, at 16 and 0 lost the the super bowl uh, it, you know it, when you when you do those accomplishments through you know a long season, no matter what the sport is, you expend a lot of energy, and 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 like I said, it's not an excuse. They they flopped in the playoffs. There's no ifs ands or buts about that. But I, I think they were just spent and they didn't know how to come back in in a four game series that took six days or seven days, whatever it was. That you know I fully expect them to be one of the best teams in hockey next year. Whether that equates to the playoffs, I mean, if anything, it should drive them in the playoffs next year. That, you know, no matter what they do in the regular season, whether they come close to 62 wins or have 50 wins and are the third seed in the playoffs, whatever it is, that reminder of last year should drive them. And I think that can only it's, – it's only going to help them in the playoffs next year. Whether that means they win it, who knows. That's why you play the games. But, you know, this Lightning team is still loaded for better. They're still the favorites if you look at Vegas and anywhere else. They're the favorites to, to be the best team in hockey again this year based on the roster. You know, I think they'll be fine, but, you know, the playoffs, it's, you know, if you look last year, 
All four divisional winners lost in their first round of the playoffs. Not one team that won the division went to the second round of the NHL playoffs. Look, I, it was such a, a, a written about and it was such a story all year, you know, were they going to set or, in this case, tie the NHL record for wins? And, you know, when that's the number that's sort of out there for you um, and they achieved it, not and, and and you're right. They talked all the time. Hey, you know, if we do it, great. But we're really focused on winning a Stanley Cup, and that that you know, it's what you do in the postseason. We all know those cliches. Um, but you wonder if they, you know, had that not been in play, say for example, would they have rested some players? Would they? Mm-hmm. It, would some of these guys have played as many minutes? You know, would you have been a little more fortunate with the injuries? I mean, injuries are part of every team. Right, but there are certain guys that they can sustain injuries to more than others, and Hedman is not one of the players you ever want less than a hundred percent. So, um, you know, it, it it does it does sap your energy because everybody's asking you about. You know, here's the other thing: it's just human nature, right? Like, and it's so funny because people always say, "Well, it has nothing to do with the game," and oh, you know, um, we don't think about it. Well, you know, when you think about it, when you're asked about it every day. Mm-hmm. And I've been in those locker rooms and those clubhouses and, and different places, and I'm, I've been the one asking the questions. And I'm here to tell you that the guys get tired of answering it. It does suck some of the focus and the energy out of the building. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with being successful and winning that many games until, until that becomes sort of the, the unspoken goal. You know, it's like, well, we're right there. We might as well go for it. We might as well do it, you know. Um, and yet, you know, that watch sort of begins, you know, a long time. I also think there's something to, you know, you got to get a little lucky too, in terms of like the draw. And what I mean is, is like, you know, Columbus remade their team a little bit. They made a lot of moves and, and they were successful in doing it, but not right away. But by the time they played them, they were sort of a hot hockey team and, you know, sometimes the matchups aren't good. You know what I mean? Like if they had drawn, a different team maybe um, that did, wasn't coached by John Tortorello, <laughs> you know, for example. Um, uh, and you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. all something, right? I mean, Absolutely. that's all part of it. Like, you know, for years and years, you know, um, the Bucks drew, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles and they could not, they just could not get, they were just a bad matchup. They could not match up with the Eagles until John Gruden got here. And, you know, he had a little different way of, of, calling the offense and you know now all of a sudden instead of running the ball inside with work done and and Mike Allstott of course Dunn moved on to you know the Atlanta Falcons you know when Gruden got here and they had Michael Pittman and Allstott but they also had Jura Vicious and Keenan McCardell and you know and Keyshawn Johnson and these heavy linebackers that used to sit inside in in base offense and plug up every run lane suddenly now we're in coverage against guys they couldn't cover. They were big lumbering linebackers that if they could get one-on-one matchups with, they exploited them. And if they could keep them in nickel, they would take off their best player off the field. So, you know, again, it's about matchups. And then, of course, we know what happened. You know, look, if the Bucks had to play somebody besides the Oakland Raiders, I don't think they win the way they beat the Raiders. I mean, is there a better matchup in football? than for your former team to be, you know, playing against you that runs the same offense, you know them intricately, um, you know, every, you know everything just sort of, you know, you couldn't write a movie script about it, right? It just sort of fell into place. But sometimes matchups, you're just unlucky. You're, you know, if you could win a game, if you could win that first series, if you, 
you know, get a good bounce, you know. Um, it can change a series. It can change – your confidence can come back. Nothing was going right, you know, for the Lightning um, against that against Columbus in that series. And, you know, it just I, – I think the pressure and, and, and the fact that they were going to become this, you know, this historic uh, team that did not win a game or did not advance past the first round. You know, the President's Cup history is not a good one. Washington went through that a number of times. I mean, all that is human nature. You hear about it all the time and then it starts to weigh on you it's like you're carrying extra luggage you know that you really don't need and and i think i think they'll they'll have a better sense of how to navigate that what'll be interesting steve is that if they're if they're a dominant team again you know do you put the brakes on you know do you take that out of play do you say nah we don't want to be that team that's going to set records let's let's make sure our guys are healthy let's let's you know if we win we win we want to win our division we want to get to the playoffs and then we'll see how it goes after that. We want home ice, but, you know, you wonder if, if the pursuit would be as dogged now knowing what they know um, versus what it was a year ago. All right, that wraps up our questions for the day. But before we go, it's now 3.30 on Wednesday afternoon, and the Rays have made another trade. All right, what yeah. we got? Rocky Gale they acquired from the Dodgers. Okay. Do you know who that is? I don't have a clue. He's a double-A catcher, and they got him in exchange for cash <laughs> consideration. So it's a depth catcher for their minor league system. He has played five games with the Dodgers this year. but I'm guessing he can hit better than Mike Zanino. Well, I, I don't right think now. he's going to be on the big league squad right now. This is probably either for double-A <laughs> or triple-A, but it's a sure, depth, depth catcher in the organization. So the big trade the Rays yeah. made, Rocky yeah. Gale. Rocky Gale. Uh, you know what? He sounds a little bit like a weatherman. Hi, this is Rocky Gale with the weather. It might be. They have, like, stormy weather or whoever whoever's who's got the weather today stormy they got a green screen um, in the locker room he can uh, stand in front of and point to the map <laughs> maybe so no pitchers yet we still have a half hour to go as we do this podcast but we'll see if they come up with that or not the rays are you know apparently in on uh, several different pitchers uh they've been talking to but uh we'll see shane yeah. green just went from the tigers to the braves as we're wrapping up this podcast so okay well at least the yankees didn't get them because they were talked about there mm-hmm. too so that's good news for the race probably as well. So thanks for your questions. Uh, you don't have to wait for a mailbag day to, to give us your questions. You can always reach us at Sports Day Tampa Bay on Twitter, at Sports Day TB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We're going to have some uh, great uh, times tomorrow with Tom Jones, my former colleague and radio partner of the Tampa Bay Times, now with the Pointer Institute. He'll be joining us uh, for Friday. And, folks, uh, you know, if you're like me, uh, you know, these electric bills, I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm going to have to get some solar energy. And if you want to save 90 to 95%, please listen to me now. Call my friends at May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company. They have the safest solar available. They have a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. And they do not contract with anybody else. Uh, So make sure there's people imitating them. Make sure it's May Electric, May all the way. Call my friends at May Electric Solar at 727-819-819. 2862, and if you do that right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the Real May Electric at 727-819-2862. First Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.